0: Hello everybody, thank you for tuning in and welcome to another episode. We've got a great guest for you today, a fellow Englishman and fellow PGA golf coach. Now today's guest is has been voted one of the top 100 teachers in America. He's coached numerous tour players including Michael Campbell to his victory at the US Open in 2005. He's a master PGA golf professional in the UK which is the highest accolade as a coach that you can get. And he's director of golf at the International Junior Golf Academy at Hilton Head, working with some great junior players now helping them develop their game to move on to hopefully great things in their life. So we're delighted to have him on. He's got a wealth of knowledge and experience. And in today's podcast, we talk about a lot of different stuff, some of the common things that we see amongst amateurs, some real practical things that you can take. We talk about pressure in the feet, the role of the hips in the golf swing. So some real good take-homes from this. So without further ado, let's welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Yarwood. So welcome to the
1: podcast, Jonathan. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciated. How are you?
2: Great. You all good? Yeah, we're all good, man. Lockdown is uh, a bit weird, but uh, making the most of it like you guys are.
1: (laughs) It's so strange. It's so strange. But it's great because you've been obviously very active on social media, which is great to see. And I think, you know, uh, a lot of golf pros are thinking that way now that they need to get this way. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Golf and social media. We talk about it all the time. There are so many different philosophies that we're able to see now. Normally you'd have to book a lesson to go and see a philosophy, but now you can see it online. You can see all these philosophies and concepts. Where are you at with the golf swing and what is the what are the things that you like to see?
2: Well, I think, you know, to your point, you, you know, there's, there's almost too much information out there, isn't there? You know, I think, I think a coach can get, a a kind of an amalgamation of ideas that doesn't really fit together Um, you know I don't really have a method I think having a method is quite a dangerous thing I think you've got to really tailor things to the individual you've got to know how they move you've got to get them screened and and make sure see where their physical uh, limitations are what their body size is how long their wingspan is relative to their body you know I think the longer I'm in the game the more personalized I've been able to, to, to make it so as a result, I've kind of studied. You know, I coached Paul Azinger for a while, so I studied a, a shut-to-open type of player. I, I, I've, I've studied rotary players. I've studied, you know, two-plane players, two-axis players. So you you get a kind of pool of information, and then you've got to tailor it to the individual. And then, you know, I've got some ideals for sure. I don't like seeing too much movement right and left with the mass. I like, you know, I I, I use the uh, Swing Catalyst 3D. Um, force plates and trap man and video with everyone I work with. So I'm, I'm quite precise in a lot of things. So I really, I look at pressure relative to mass a lot nowadays. Mm. Um, I don't like too much mass movement for most people. I like, a, you know, certain pressure movement in a certain point. Um, you know, I like the club to get up in balance kind of halfway back. You know, whenever you kind of get it out of balance, you have some issues. Um, I like relatively short arm swing with with quite a tight coil as I put it. And then, you know, real real emphasis on shifting pressure properly, getting the right amount of, of tilt, side bend and rotation through the ball. Um, and again, trying to tune the forces up really. When you've got one of these, um, these motion plates, it's incredible. It's like looking at a car going down the road, you're actually looking inside the engine as it's going yeah, down, you're not looking at the paintball. It's amazing. So I can fiddle around with a swing and literally fine tune the forces and, you know, I can give you less horizontal force. I can increase your torque force. I can time it correctly. I can time the, the vertical jump better. You know, and in general, big picture in a golf swing, you know, there's a there's a wind-up on the way back, as you guys know. There's a little shift as you change direction with the mass. It's only about mm-hmm. three three inches or so for most people. Then there's, you put the brakes on that kind of drift, and you start to create some torque or some twist which puts the brakes mm-hmm. on it and that starts to increase your vertical your your pressure into the ground and then from there you turn that into vertical force and you jump so there's a glide a spin and a jump is and kind of jump. the is the big picture of how it, how it works um, and you know you just combine that with a nice kind of tight coil and and, and a decent plane and, and and you're on your way i don't i when i first started out of my career i was really interested and in, and in, in, in almost too interested in making the club look perfect or the plane look perfect or the you know, the club is at four degrees out and I'd be going crazy. I don't <laughs> look, I don't I don't work like that now. I, I I kind of look at okay, I need to get the engine going. Yes. The, the engine's the body, right? You've got to get the engine going. And particularly, I pay a hell of a lot of attention with elite players, particularly, to what the pelvis is doing. If the mm-hmm. pelvis is not working correctly, you've got no chance whatsoever. So it's a really important that's really the piston of the engine, I think. So I spend a lot of time making that the pelvis sit correctly at a dress, make it move correctly. You know, it's got more movement than you think, for sure. It's I put a thing online about it the other day, you know, there's a it's an elliptical object, so it kind of, it shifts and goes up on the way back, and then it levels out, and then it kind of goes back up and shifts the other way. So there's a kind of Mm. tilt, a level out, and a tilt. So you've got to get all that kind of working right. And I think if you kind of combine, you know, make it individualized you know yeah yeah look at all the stuff online absorb it for sure put it in, in in your little library in your brain yes but the skill is extracting the right information at the right time for the right person so as I always start with the screening of a player never never worked mm-hmm. with a player particularly but even you know a lot of people uh, listening and watching this you know they'll be dealing with you know mr club captain well yeah mr club and still might need screening because he's, you know, sat in a chair in his office. He's a lawyer or whatever he is. He's, you know, he's, he's immobile in his in his pelvis. So you've got to start with the screening to see what people can and cannot do. Then you've got to kind of create a game plan for the person. And I think it's so easy to have so much high level technical information that really applies to the kind of players I deal with, the elite players the tour players and all the other stuff. It doesn't necessarily apply to Mr. Club Captain. Mm-hmm. So. No matter who you're working with, you've got to have the ability, you are the filter to take all that technical information and filter it into the person in a really, really simple way. And that's the art of it. There's no question. Golf goal is part science and part art. So you are the conduit to make that information simple and digestible for the person. So my golden rule is I never give more than one piece of information back or one piece of information down. I never, ever, ever will change. If I can't do it in those two
1: pieces, I'm doing it wrong. And you, you've just summed it up perfectly there by saying you, you've 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 just shown everything that you're looking for, and it all depends on the person. Obviously, their build, their what they're capable of doing physically. But then when it all comes down, it's all this information gets piled into this sort of machine, this supercomputer. And then that comes this little piece of paper with two things on it. (laughs) But that's, that's what golf coaching should be all about.
2: (laughs) I often say to people who who watch me, they go, geez, how did you do that? How did you see that? And it's almost like if you plug my ear into like an oscilloscope, which shows like (laughs) waves, when I'm looking at it, the machine would be going, (laughs) processing all these things. Right. But then as soon as I then turn to the person, I say, well, OK, here's here's a big picture. And you kind of start t- start telling a story yeah, that as yeah. you just go, then just goes boom, boom, boom. You know, really simple because you've kind of filtered all that information out. And then the art side of it is really telling the story to the individual. You know, how, how I would tell it to, to peers compared to Andy would be totally different. I might be jokey with Piers, I might be more serious with Andy, I might be using more technical words with Andy, because I know you can't you can't uh, understand words of more than two syllables, Piers. <laughs> so, you know, the approach, even with the vocab, is really important. And uh, I definitely don't speak in what I call coach speak uh, to players. If I'm speaking with you and we're talking about a, a golfer, and we, you can talk about it like a doctor talks about a patient, right? So you say, oh, you can use all the technical terms and what have you. But when I'm interacting with normal, normal players and normal people, I never ever get too coach speaky like I would with a fellow coach. And as you guys know, you've dealt with some great players with DJ and Rory and all those guys. The guys on the tour want it dead simple. They are dead simple people. I tell you, you wouldn't believe. You they want. No, you wouldn't <laughs> believe how simple they want it. But um, I think one thing that um, I've noticed with a lot of coaches that um, kind of alluded to your point at the start here. A lot of people don't really have a system. I think that's where they all fall down in my view. I think they kind of get seminaritis and they go to all these seminars, get all this information, go online, get all this information. They've got an amalgamation of information that doesn't really fit together and is very difficult, therefore, to apply. There's one thing I have got in my head and also written down that the coaches I work with use. It's like a template. It's a template of of how you look at a string. It's a template of how you break it down. It's a template of how you... You you apply it. It's like a system almost in your head. Like it's something to cling to and put put these bits of information in. And I, I think people like that. And I think that's where they kind of fall
1: down a little bit. I
0: would agree. I would agree. That's important. Just a, a quick uh, question here, Jonathan. Um, something that me and Pierce always talked about, and you mentioned about the hips being the engine. We always talk about it with, with our students. And when, we, when we're when doing it online, it's like, look, if we can get the hips doing a good job, everything else becomes so much easier. And you mentioned, um, the pressure plates that you use from a, um, and obviously the hips are massively important in what we see in, in the pressure plates as well. Yeah. What do you see as, as patterns amongst golfers from, from in the pressure on the feet? You know, what are the sort of general patterns that you see and how does that end up looking and for the golfer in terms of what that, what that would look like? in terms of a, a, an, um, a visual? The general sort of, the, the general yeah. poor patterns general that you see. Theme, the general
2: theme is, um, they get on their toes too much in transition is a general theme, right? Uh, for an amateur player in particular, they, they get what's, what's called a high right hip on the way down, pressure shifts into their toes, they light up both their toes. When they do that, the torque force gets very low and very early and the vertical force ramps up way high and way too early. People who come over the top have an, an enormous vertical force spike that happens way earlier than it should do and it's of such a massive magnitude but that doesn't translate into ball speed. So that's a red flag. It's like, geez, okay, you're, you're, that's a, that's a, you've got a bigger vertical spike than than Rory and yet you're hitting it 210, okay? Well, it's because you, you're coming out of it so early, your trail size getting so high, your pressure's getting into your toes, you're done. I mean, you want to jump off the ball of your foot, right? But it has to be at the right time. Um, and what causes that mainly for amateur players in particular I've found, number one, it could be the shoes, right? We just done a big experiment with Swing Catalyst on how shoes affect where your pressure goes. We did a, a, a just a, an experiment with with the, our trainer and he, he tried on three different styles of shoes. It wasn't about the make, it was about the style. There's some flat ones with not, not much structure, there were some kind of high heel ones and there's kind of some in between that were really rigid. And we just hit some shots on swing catalyst with Trackman with that. And the differences in his forces with the three different shoes were just off the scale. One of them made him look so good with force. No, no lesson. One of them made him look so good just by changing his footwear. One of them, he looked like an absolute muppet just by changing his footwear. And, and we're also getting to the point now where we're also looking at foot structure as well because, you know, some people have got big arches, some people have got flat arches. So, you know, those little things make a big difference because, you know, where your feet are in your shoes, what your shoes are doing, is pushing your pressure in a certain way. And I'm dealing with a lot of kids nowadays who use the, the, the basically the trainer-type shoes, right, where they're, they're based on a running shoe. So the heel's high, the toe's low, and so it's already forcing their weight forward, which when you start adding dynamics really puts them forward so look at footwear look at i do a lot of stuff with with people with no shoes on nowadays just to test it just to say hey are these shoes having an adverse effect or not Um, and then the final part of to answer your question you know what what am i seeing with the pressure the, the the fault getting on the toes too early as i said and really a lot of it is caused by not most amateur players don't turn their trail hip or their right hip enough on the way back Tiger Woods, he says, when he's playing well, he has a deep turn of his right hip. And that's really important. What amateur players don't realize is your your hips can can do different things, right? They can work independently. It's not a solid thing where one goes the same as the other one, right? Most amateurs move their lead hip more and their trail hip less, and then they move their trail hip forward too early. Pros are the opposite. They have less turn in their left hip and more turn in their right hip on the way back, and they kind of stay turned as they drift, which keeps the pressure in the middle of their feet, creates a linear pressure trace, which therefore you can start to get the torque force and the vertical force ramping up at the right time, which increases ball speed.
0: Keeps that weight off the toes as well, which is, which is yes. vital yeah. for what you're saying. And I think it this is something yeah. that, that we see all the time. There's not many... There's not many um, not many guys who come to us for a lesson and we're saying, okay, what we want you to do is just restrict that right hip a little more. Let's restrict those hips and let's get a shorter yeah. turn. It yeah, just yeah. it just doesn't happen. So I think yeah. for, for all the listeners to this, I think for probably 90% of the, the listeners, if they were to look at their golf swing and look at their hips, I would say 90% of them pr- could improve their hip turn or could improve the way their hips are moving. So it's an area that they should be really all looking at, isn't it?
2: Yeah, to help them, you know... Just get in a mirror, mirror, make sure your pelvis is neutral, as I call it, right? So if you look kind of down the line into a mirror um, from a side angle, make sure that your back's not got a big curve at the bottom of it. Make sure your, 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 your belt line's quite neutral, but make sure your abs are engaged, your belly button's sucked in a little bit, there's a bit of ground pressure in your feet, there's a little bit of pressure in your quads, and you've got a nice neutral starting point. If your pelvis is out of position early, which a lot of people's is, a lot of people have got a high, high right hip early. A lot of people have got an S posture. You know, get, get that as good as you can while you're in lockdown. And then you can also do some really good exercises just winding your hips up. Lift your toes up off the ground. You know, do it in bare feet. Just lift, lift, lift your toes up and start to feel how you can, you can coil into the, the heel and the middle of your trail foot. You can shift into the into the front of your lead foot and then you can jump off, your, off the ball of your lead foot when you're about to hit it. And, and when you do actually get out there, you know, great drill, just put a little alignment rod underneath your toes and just get your posture good. And just, you know, it will stop you moving your pressure forward too early. As soon as that pressure goes forward too early, you're going to have some problems because it'll affect the plane. It means, you know, the geometry is going to be thrown out, et cetera.
1: Brilliant. I think that's it. A- it is interesting. It is interesting. I'll just just quickly on the trainer one, that trainer, there were trainers, there were shoes, golf shoes. I had a client who turned up and he had, and he straight away, I'm looking to get set up with his brand new shoes on. Yeah. And I'm going. Your heels are off. The- they're in the air. And I said to him, I says, look, I says, have you got any more shoes with you? And he went into the car and he got another pair. He put the shoes on, and he was totally different in his posture. So the good news is we uh, evaluated that and we sorted that out. The bad news was he bought three pairs of the same oh. shoe because they were on a sale.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean the guy at Swing Catalyst uh, tells a story. Uh, Dr. Scott Lynn, um, Scott McCarron has, has had a pair of shoes that he's, he plays in for like four years because. He kept, they don't make them anymore, and mm. all the other shoes affect him so badly that he can't hit it. So he has to wear these <laughs> yeah. really old FootJoy shoes, and the sponsors hate it because they're no longer made. But it's all he can yeah. play in. And you know, he, he also spread yeah. friends with yeah. Ricky Fowler, and Ricky Fowler had a great year one year, and then the next year, the Puma came out with those shoes that had like a a thing that holds your ankle in. They were like like bloody uh, bootlets almost, you know, really trendy, cool things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he. He had a really poor year that year. And so he took the the swing plate to him, um, Dr. Scott Lind did, and they just put him on the system and compared his pressure and all his forces and stuff to what it was the year before. And it was completely different. And it's because of his shoes. His his shoes had locked his ankles in and they'd stopped the dorsiflexion that he he normally had and they stopped the ankle articulation that he normally had and and had a massive effect on on his game that year. I mean, he he had a terrible season uh, that, that particular year and they could trace it back to... The vanity of youth, what to the what to, what to the cool shoot. <laughs> Save the high top for the high street is the message.
0: <laughs> but I think it's a good I think it's a good thing for people to think about there, the pressure in the feet, feeling that, and then thinking about their hips. I think if they were to focus on that, they would certainly get some different feels and improve. Just moving on, just look, Jonathan, you've coached some some fantastic players. I know you're heavily involved with the junior develop now at, at Hilton Head. What would you what would it say, or what would you say are the things that separate the winners? You know, what do they have that other people don't have from your experience? What are the traits? What are the things that these winners have?
2: I think prolific tour winners are just exceptional people, um, and they all have in common is unbelievable grit, I think, is what they all have in common. I've seen players win tournaments with a B game, C game. I've seen, you know, just that will to win, almost, uh, which almost sits on a fear of failure. Almost, it looks to me, it's like I just I can't fail. I can't let people. I can't fail. I can't fail. And you know, they they, they do extraordinary things at extraordinary times. Really, and um, you know, I'm Sean Foley said to me not long ago. He said, uh, he said, oh, you know, tour players are, are are one trait removed from psychopaths. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, what? They they've got exactly the same traits as psychopaths, apart from the fact. They have empathy, and I thought that's very interesting because that's how single-minded you have to be to become the winner that dominates the winners. I mean, what you're looking at on tour, the people who win on tour, you've got to give them enormous respect. Every single person you see play on tour, on any tour, is exceptional, but playing on the European and the PGA Tour, they're the 1% of the 1%, right? And then if you're a winner on that tour, or any tour, you, you know, you, you're just exceptional, and it really is. The grit is the, is, the, is the overriding thing that I've found with them all and just unbelievable will to win and, and you know, throw adversity at them and they react differently to 99.9 percent of people. You know, they rise to the challenge more often than not. Um, and, you know, golf is such a game that beats you up. It's a game of failure, isn't it? Especially at the high level. And it's the, 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 what people don't realize is the margins at the high level the you know missing the cut at Augusta by two shots compared to winning it the margins are just so small you just can't even get it across to people. You've actually played some decent golf if you miss the, miss the cut by a couple of Augusta sometimes right It's so weird never comes across on TV but you know the real prolific winners they' just you know they've just got the will to win they've just got the grit um, they've often got. An interesting background you don't often get you know prolific winners who have got nothing to prove to somebody you know I watch quite a lot of documentaries about different sports people in different different sports and there's always like this backstory to the real winners right it's like oh, I've got to prove to this guy who said this when I was 11 or oh, I've got to prove this to this guy but I've been watching Mike Tyson um, stuff lately and I like looking at other sports and there is a common thread I read a lot of autobiographies by sports people and there's a common thread there's always a driver something that gives them that burning will to win it's always you can always trace it back oh there you go that's where it started yeah. that's where the fire started and that's how they've reacted to it and now they've they've kind of kept going and kept going and kept going and you know they just amazing. I've got massive respect for, for anyone who plays any sport in any arena so I never and I hate people criticizing them when they don't perform how they should um, but you know winners are. are The the real winners are just exceptional people. I think they've just learned how to do it right under pressure by having a lot of failure and dealt with failure in a a, 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 a positive way.
0: I think I think it's um, you've just sparked something as well there for me because I think over the last few weeks we've interviewed a lot of tour pros and you do see that exactly what you said in terms of it's almost like they've got to prove a point. And when you said there, there's um, you know you can see when the fire started. It reminds me of. I know in Daniel Coyle's book, The Talent Code, he talks yeah, yeah. about the, when that fire, you know, all these guys have a moment when that fire starts and then it cool. ignites and then they all go from that. And it's that one, one moment in their life that triggers everything else. And certainly yeah. speaking to these guys over the last few weeks, you can hear that some of them are like, well, I didn't get into this or he told me yeah. I couldn't do it. And they're yeah. out there to go, well, I'm gonna prove you wrong. And then that sits with them it becomes a habit then of trying to prove people wrong and they almost become addicted to that feeling and continue on
2: as pierce said earlier i mean you know for young kids out there and people aspiring to want to be a tour player and stuff there's so much great information out there not just about golf swings and stuff but about people mm. you know you can you can delve into the life of people on on youtube all day long you know go and look at at, at Senna, what drove Senna? go and look at mike tyson what drove him go and look at Nick Faldo, what drove him. There's always documentaries on people. There's talks on people. You know, and all the players I work with, I get them to watch the press conferences uh, of players. There's lots of that on the internet as well. You go and watch a press conference. If you want to get into the mind of a winner in the middle of a tournament or what he was thinking on a certain shot, what, what relief he had at the end. You go and watch some of Rory's press conferences. So, mm-hmm. You can learn so much from getting inside someone's... You literally are getting inside someone's head in the, while they're in the cauldron. So I get a lot of players watching those type of things because they're really, really interesting.
1: We were talking about Rory the other day when he won at the players and about how his interviews were so good. You know, his interviews when he won at the players last year were so good. And it's, yeah, it's interesting as well, isn't it? This ignition that we're talking about is often comes from a from an older sibling, you know, a, a brother or a sister who's, you know, who's who's the the who's obviously better at sports than them and then suddenly they go well okay my brother who's three years older than me he's obviously better at golf than me but i i want to just keep beating him so sometimes they've got that person they're chasing all the time whereas the person who's the eldest brother is he gets the best first of all and he hasn't got anyone to chase so much but yeah it is interesting it is interesting i think
2: think, you know there's always a it's always a moment that i call it and i'll i'll show you moment right yeah so i'll show you and that kind of starts it. It's, it's not necessarily healthy, but I think it turns into something healthy eventually. Mm-hmm. You've got to also remember that you know, our sport is such a great sport. And you can literally just fall in love with it, can't you? And I think we all fell in love with it at some stage. And because you fall in love with it, I've just turned 50 and I'm still in love with the bloody game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, because of that, you, you can get very dedicated, very committed, and then therefore become very good. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a skill mastery sport, isn't it? So, you know, as a young kid, you know, all I ever did was play golf. You know, 14 years old, I biked to the golf course uh, from my little council estate in Skegness. Um, you know, I, I went and played golf, 50 holes, had a Coke and a Mars Bar for lunch or be, baked beans on toast or something. And then I, 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 it was all done in 10 minutes. I still eat fast because of that. And uh, and then I was back <laughs> out on the golf course. You know, just the, the love of the Boy, game being
1: there.
2: and getting out there and, and doing it is, is you know again that can create an amazing competitor as well can't it as well as you
1: know absolutely yeah we've all been there we've all been there it's interesting We've we've got a question we wanted to ask you and I think you've kind of answered it somewhat obviously in how your coaching has developed over the years so I'm just going to reframe the question ever so slightly what's the one big thing that you wish you knew let's say in 2005 that you know now What's the one big thing that you wish you knew in 2005 that you you knew now? Oh, no now, should I say? Easy.
2: Trackman numbers. <laughs> we didn't have Trackman then. If I'd have had Trackman, <laughs> it would have been a different ballgame if I'd have Trackman for sure. Um, as you know, 2005, uh, you know, Michael Campbell in the US Open. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we worked a lot on his putting that week, actually. He's swinging all right. He's been playing all right. He, he came to the tournament with a... Uh, a broom handle putter and a, and a panic look on his face, and uh, we went away and re- rebuilt his his putting stroke with a normal putter using facts and evidence as I've done before. Spent a lot of time with Scotty Cameron, um, and we filmed the ball at, at that time before it was cool to do. We did a lot of ball performance filming, um, and I just did some ball performance filming of the good putter and the bad putter, uh, and then he kind of rebuilt his stroke, and and, and he was number one putting that week. But um, to answer your question, if I if I could have one thing, it would be to to have some track man and know the numbers, and I think Michael's uh, career would have been longer. Um, he was brought up in an era of hitting down on it, and it, which made him an unbelievable um, iron player. But at that at that time, we weren't that aware of, okay, you've got to hit up on the drive. you've got to hit up on it. I know it sounds ridiculous now, because it's so common. <laughs> at that time, we didn't, we didn't know it. It was like, oh geez, this driver fits you, this doesn't, It's a lot of kind of flipping around, It it's nowhere near as precise as it is now. And, you know, the longevity of his career would have been better. We've, recently, I, he, was, he came to me almost with the driver yips about two years ago, trying to resurrect his career on the senior tour. And I wouldn't have been able to cure his driver yips in, in that era like I did using technology now. I took his, his, uh, his numbers. He was hitting it 267 yards for a tour player. <laughs> Not going to be very competitive. He had a, a path of seven left, um, 4.9 down. Spin rate of 4,000. And uh, I changed that. I got his path right, angle attack positive. Um, and I got his... I, I took him from 267 yards to 307 yards. He gained 40 yards. And we changed... We gave him a new move in his swing to do that, which is getting his vertical force going uh, earlier. Um, he'd never, never jumped in his life with a driver. And I got him jumping, spiking his force, uh, force better. Basically gave him a new move in his swing that I wouldn't have been able to do in 2005 because i didn't understand it right and technology has allowed me to understand it and that's the great thing about technology it doesn't make you a great coach it just helps you it gives you an insight you just get more precise and it allows you to make more of an informed choice um i didn't have the technology so i couldn't make an informed choice back then so the, the big picture of answering your question is i think you know if, if Technology is really, really the, the key uh, to how I've evolved as an instructor, for sure.
0: It just shows, as well, doesn't it, Jonathan? That you know, that I mean, let's say he gained forty yards. It was probably a, a small, only a small gain in club speed, but just because of the delivery in terms of you know his conditions at impact, that massively changed the, the, the distance. And I think for the guys listening to this, who maybe. Don't understand how much that they can gain by going for some coaching and getting themselves, you know, potentially on a, on a track man or something like that on a launch monitor that can really go deep into that. What was his gains on that from a club speed to gain 40 yards? Uh, it was only about nine miles an hour. It wasn't that much, um,
2: but it was just taking the spin off it, getting the angle of attack up and just getting the, getting the, the, uh, the path better. Yeah. And as I say, it was basically a yip, basically yeah. a driver yip. And a driver yip has ended a lot of people's careers. And, uh, and it is to, to some extent, it's why it kind of disappeared off the map a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's very interesting, he finished second in a tournament uh, not long after that, actually, in a senior tour event with his son caddying for him, which was a, a golden moment in his career, actually, uh, as he gets older. But, you know, on the subject of launch monitors, you know, you don't have to have a TrackMan. I've tested TrapMan against FlightScope, against GC Quad, just like you guys uh, have. And, you know, they're all pretty good. They're all as good as each other, really. You know, do it do it with your budget. You know, yeah. as a you don't have to go out there and buy a TrackMan and, you know, put yourself in debt if you're not going to get a return on your investment. Supply Scope's just as good. It's half the price. I've tested it against a Trapman. It's great. Um, so, you know, go within your budget. And if you're a, a, a player wanting some advice... You know, just go and find someone with a launch monitor. Go and have a lesson with them. You know, yeah. just have get your numbers, see what they are. And then, you know, you're using a fact and evidence-based approach, which is what I do, rather than just guesswork. You know, if you're not yeah. – if you don't yeah. have anything to measure with, you're just guessing. Measuring is really the key.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people will benefit from just – and be very surprised with going and actually seeing their own numbers because I think uh, a lot of amateurs, a lot of golfers out there aren't necessarily aware of what they actually do. So it's – um yeah massively important for them to create that awareness so they can take that to the golf course yeah now you're obviously where you are now hilton head you you, you're heavily into the uh, junior development there can you give us an insight of what that looks like and you know at the facility and some of the things that you do in order to develop these juniors because we see the work that you do you're very much it's very much a holistic approach isn't it you use all the Uh, technology the fitness what does it look like and and how you're developing these guys
2: yeah, basically, it's a boarding school for golf, basically. You know, it's $60,000, and, you know, they come, they, they live with us for, for nine months of the year. They, we own a school, so the school curriculum is flexible around the sport. So they play golf in the morning, do school in the afternoon, or vice versa. Um, you know, we've, we've got, a, obviously, a, a big team of coaches. Uh, we take a, a very rounded approach. We're, we're about three things, really. We're about golf. We're also about water, and we're also about academics. If we get those three things in line, then those kids can go to school or college on a scholarship, which is the end game. not necessary to be a tour player. It's to turn out a well-rounded, well-educated individual who happens to be good at golf. Because not everyone's going to make the tour. So I'm just as proud. of I've sent people to OSU, ASU, Duke, Berkeley, you name it. Some of the best uh, uh, colleges in America. And I'm, I'm just as proud of the ones who went into business as I am as proud of the guys who went on the tour. Um, you know, there's some great lawyers, there's just some great people of the world that, that I've helped, really, and, and, and I'm really proud to, to have been part of that. So about those three things. But the program's really sophisticated, it's really deep, it's got a lot of uh, learning behind it for some great minds like Anders Ericsson and loads of different studies of how people learn, motor learning skills, skill acquisition, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we kind of combine the, the, the science with the art, really. Um, and the program allows me to do that. So we do some swing catalyst work. We, everything that I do technically is fact and evidence-based. But we marry that to a training environment that, as you say, is very encompassing. You know, there's different styles of training. People have got to understand this. You know, all I see people do is just block practice on the range. You know, drag a ball over, drag a ball over, whack it, drag a ball over, whack it. We don't do that. We only do that type of practice if you're working on something technical. And then, again, it's fact and evidence-based and feedback-based so you, you know you're on the right track. Um, when we're not working on stuff, then we we create skills and develop skills, and that's what it's all about. It's about developing skills, retaining skills, and mastering skills, and then transferring those skills to the golf course to make a score, right? Um, allied to that, you know, kids nowadays, that they're, they're not – as active as they used to be, I don't think. They spend a lot of time on the screens, on the phones, inside and stuff like that. And a lot of them don't have the basic coordination skills that that they need, really. A lot of them can't skip, they can't jump, they can't juggle things. It sounds ridiculous, but they can't. Uh, A lot of them, not all of them. And so we have a skill development station there. So we have the TPI train on the T, You know, doing different types of of coordination, you know, throwing soccer balls or or throwing beanbags at something very precise or doing a juggle with the club or keeping up is with a football or whatever it is um, on that particular day. And then we have also stations of speed training. So we do speed training, coordination training, technical training, and then different types of practice in between that. So if someone's preparing for a tournament, we don't do block practice. We do random practice where they... Hit at different targets with different clubs. Um, we do interleave practice. We do all sorts of different styles of practice that have been proven to transfer those skills to the golf course. And people and people can do that themselves. You know, don't just go to the to the range if you've got an hour and just whack balls. Go with a purpose. Say right, okay, first twenty minutes. Yeah, I'll do some block practice. I'm going to work on what Piers told me. Yeah, I've seen his thing. Yeah, that was really good. Oh yeah, that's better. I'll film it on my phone. Get my mate to film it. Right, that's better. Okay, got it. Right, now, next 20 minutes, i want to work around the range with that same club and hit different shots to different targets. Okay, next 10 minutes, I'm now going to vary my clubs, trying to keep the same feeling. And the last 10 minutes, I'm just going to do it all with my routine. So then, you're then kind of attaining a skill, mastering a skill, and transferring a skill. Rather, if you just stand there all day long, whacking balls off a mat on the range, not really kind of, you know, getting anywhere with it you're just grooving in a fault basically and you're training in a totally different mode to how you play golf so no matter how good that information was from peers it's, you're not going to benefit in your score because you haven't figured out in your practice how to transfer it so the big message i think is you know have a have a plan when you go no matter how long you've got no matter what your standard have a plan
1: yeah, I think that's great. And would and would you say then that, because the, one of the questions we want to ask you is, you know, you know what do golfers need to do to improve? You know, so our, my question would be, what's the starting point for you on this? What would you say is the question that the, the, the people listening to this at home is the first question they should ask themselves to help them improve with their technique more so?
2: Um, well, you know, if you've got, you got a shot that kills you, really, you know, what is the shot that kills you? You're not hitting it far enough. Are you spinning it too much? Does it slice? Does it hook? You know, and what, how often do you play? What, what do you want to do with the game? You know, I'm, I'm used to dealing with players who talk to me about, hey, I want to win the Open or I want to, you know, I want to make $10 million or whatever it is. I want to leave a legacy. Well, that might not be for you. You might just want to win the your monthly medal or you might not even want to do that. You might just want to play better when you've finished work in the office and just don't want to slice it anymore. So it starts with what your goals are, really. You know, if you play for fun and recreationally, it's such a great game. And you can get more out of it, but you, you, you've, you've just got to understand, you know, how much time you've got. You know, you, you don't want to get too technical with it if you just want to play a little better. Okay, I'm slicing it. Okay, let me watch, you know, me and my golf thing on slicing. That is a great drill. Okay, I'll go and do that drill. Got it. Oh, that's better. That'll do me. Right? Or if you want to get a bit more in-depth, hey, I'm going to go and see my local PGA pro, have a quick look, tell him that, hey, uh, this is all I want to do. I just want to achieve this. And any coach worth their salt will get into it with you before they get going and just ask you, okay, what do you want? What are you looking for? Cause a coach needs to be a great listener and it's very easy just to steam in and treat that, you know, the, the guy who, who plays recreationally the same as the elite player. I mean, there are two different horses totally. Um, but nonetheless, they both need listening to. Um, so you can adjust your, your, your information to them. Um, so, you know, it varies from person yeah. to person according to what you're
1: trying to do, I think. Yeah. Yeah, asking yourselves what you want to achieve, I suppose, is is the main thing, isn't it? And a lot of people don't do that. They just play golf. <laughs> yeah. What do I
2: want to improve? What, what plagues me? What holds me back? You know, mm. how seriously do I want to take it? You know, where, do, what's my goal? Okay, I want to win the monthly medal. Right, okay. And the reason I'm not is blah, 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 blah. So you have to do a little evaluation. Love it. I
0: like it. Simple. Simple. So for the guys out there then, Jonathan, who are... Um, who really wanna improve their score? Because you have got people who play for different reasons, as we've just been talking about, for social, for for just wanting to hit the golf ball well. But for the guys who really want to improve their score, where should they be spending their time? What are the things that they should should they be focusing on? If they if, if all their goal is I wanna I wanna shoot lower scores, I wanna get down to this handicap, what should they be doing?
2: Well the start the start of the green work backwards really. Unless you've got a massively destructive shot. But I would spend a lot of time on putting. You know, go and watch Phil Kenyon uh, and, and all of his stuff and, you know, improve your putting stroke. You know, get a putter that fits you, understand how the stroke works, you know, improve your green reading, improve your routine, and make more putts. Statistically proven, if you make more putts, your scores go down. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. Three putts less. <laughs> you know, it's it's a no-brainer. And then kind of just, you know, tickle your short game. Say, hey, you know, if I look, evaluate my game over three or four rounds that I've played, which people don't do, which they should do, Okay, you know, I've hit in the bunker six times. I haven't got up and down once. Okay, we've got a bunker problem. Right, let's just improve that. So if you improve that 50%, your score's going to improve. So you get up and down three times out of six. Okay, you just improve your score by getting your bunkers better. Okay, chipping, same thing. Pitching, same thing. So, you know, inside 100 yards would be where I'd start. And then, as I say, if you've got a really destructive shot, you know, you, you, you can't drive it. You, you know, you've got a 90-yard a banana ball or whatever it is. You know, try and improve that a little bit, try and eliminate it or work with it. So if you slice it thirty yards, aim thirty yards in the rough on the left, you know, and it'll come around and that's your pattern. Right? So you've turned, you know, something destructive into something you can work with. And and really, you know, plan the holes better. You know, the amount of amateurs you, you go, you, when you walk in a pro am, you you know, you see you see amateurs like pulling out of the driver and then they, they look they look up and it's a you know 140 yard par three. You know? <laughs> There's just no planning there. You've got to really plan the plan what you're trying to do around your game and how you play. So it's like a game of chess, isn't it? You strategize. You go, right, here's point A for how I play, there's point B. For how I play, there's point A over there. I'm just gonna go bang, bang, bang. It's like a game of chess, isn't it? And you work around your strengths and your weaknesses. But to answer your question, that you know, to to really get your scores going down, you know, people always think, Oh, it's my swing, it's my swing, it's my swing. I don't, I'm not necessarily a, a believer in that. As an amateur player, if you've got your putting better, your short game better, inside 100 yards better, and then tied it up, you know, a destructive shot, then your scores would absolutely go go really low, really easy.
0: It doesn't have to oh, look pretty, like does ten it? a 10-shot difference. It doesn't no. have to look pretty. I think golfers are trying to get this pretty round of golf that doesn't make mistakes, but I think you'll see the best guys will score from a... a, a an unattractive round of golf. <laughs> it's yeah. not pretty, and they scramble yeah. it. They make it work, and they get it done.
2: That's what the tour players do, believe it or not. I mean, you know people think they play perfect golf. They don't. They play what I call ugly golf. They play gritty golf. You know, I've seen. I remember watching Phil Mickelson uh, um, playing with one of my players at TPC once. I mean, he, he skied it off the toe into a tree about 90 yards in front of him because he got the angle of attack so far down, like he does with his driver. It was. I mean, it's literally like I just what. He took a divot and he's got into a tree and, then, and rattled around in the tree and got in a hazard, right? So there's a pond there. So cool as you like, he just walks up, thanks to marshal for telling where it was, blah, blah, blah Waxes his next one short of the green out this crap and then pitches it on and, and makes the putt, right? And he hits another horrible shot on the next hole, another horrible on the next hole, shoots two under. I'm like, what? I, okay. that, that really got me going on how these guys construct a score. They're just gritty – they just play the right shots at the right time. They never give up. They fight the way around. Um, yeah, it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. I ended up writing a little book about it, uh, a course management system, based on uh, on some of the things I've seen on tour that I call sub-288 golf. And um, It's how had to a, had a golf your ball, really, no matter how you're hitting it. And, uh, okay. yeah, it's just based on strategy, really. And mm-hmm. uh, I think those plans you guys have got uh, online and the things that people can join – they want to lower their scores. They just follow me and my goal and, and, and download some of those suckers, you know? <laughs> your scores. Are going I like good. it. Scores are going
1: that's
0: the good. best answer you've given all day. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't paid him to say that, by the way. Uh, no, <laughs> oh, it's That's brilliant. brilliant. Well,
2: you know, I looked at it the other day yeah. and, uh, you know, it's really high quality stuff. That's some awesome information and obviously really well presented, um, despite your brummy accents. But, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, we're it's trying awesome. to get rid
0: of them. We're trying to get, we're phasing them out. It's
2: uh, no, it is, it's really well done. It's uh, there's a lot more that goes into something behind that than people think. You know the the matrix behind something like that that you've put online is is massive and complicated, like a big spider web, as you know and to make it work as well as you do and, and benefit so many people, I think it's it's really fantastic. So hats off to, to you awesome. and your team. I think Thank you. Ruben. You're very kind. Thank
1: you. You're very kind. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So I think I think what we do, we always do, we have like a quick fire round. So let's go into that quick fire round now. And uh, this, there's always some good ones come out of this, but best advice you ever had?
2: Um, get good and they will come. There we go.
1: Absolutely. I like it. Biggest misconception in golf?
2: Uh, Swing slowly.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Favourite thing about golf?
2: Nature. Mm -hmm. That's a great... That's powerful. Very powerful. I love love the environment we play in. It's just so beautiful. One of the things that attracted me to golf as a boy... I was really into nature as a, as a young, really young boy. I also loved sport. I was very competitive, and very sporty. I was on all the teams and stuff. And it combined the two for me. It was like I can still look at the birds and, and appreciate nature and our beautiful planet we live on, but I can also be competitive and want to rip someone's throat out on the golf course. So it's front of mind.
1: I love that. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Okay, and this is something. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, one more before we get to the, the last one. What would you change about golf?
2: um i know that i know where you're trying to go with that one um i wouldn't change anything really i think you know they've got to moderate the ball possibly but i just think all sport has evolved with sports science and you know i think it's a different game to what it was in the 80s the 70s but just like the 80s was different to the 20s you know it's evolved sports evolved and you look at tennis, wooden rackets to graphite rackets, slow balls to fast balls. Go and watch a rally at Wimbledon from 1970 and watch a rally from Wimbledon now. Everything's got faster. Everything's got more ballistic. Everything's more scientific. Um, so you've just got to embrace it. Um, I think th- there is a, an issue with, okay, where does it stop? Where, how do you slow it down? Where do you draw the line? But to answer your question, I wouldn't change anything because I like evolution. I embrace change and I enjoy ballistic high-power, high-flying, sexy golf that we play now, <laughs> just like I used to love the low-spinning, ballata, oh, pro-rises oh, 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 oh. they used to try and hit, which are probably the worst thing you can do in hindsight, but it looked cool to me,
0: uh, yeah, just yeah. like I
2: enjoyed that. So, you know, it's a different game. There's no question about it. Um, it's a lot less artistic. You know, in a, in a romantic world, yep, yeah, you'd want to bring some art back into it. But we don't live in a romantic world. We live in a scientific-driven world and uh, just embrace whatever's
1: there. I like the ballistic. I must say I do like the ballistic. Okay, we have one question left for you, and this is what we ask everybody, generally speaking. So We'd like you to build the perfect golfer. So this is somebody, and I think we'd like to go along the lines of someone you've either coached or currently still coaching or you've witnessed in a a game. So we're going to go driving, irons, short game, and putting.
2: Uh, driving is easy, Rory. Irons There's a tie between Sergio Garcia and Michael Campbell. Those, just fantastic, uh, real crushes of, the, of, a, of an iron, uh, particularly Sergio. Uh, uh, I don't beat him. What else was the other one?
1: A short game uh, short and then putting.
2: Brett Rumford short game. <laughs> he's um, he's the winner. Jeez, ah, putting. Putting. Uh, well, Brad Faxon, in, in the old days, Brad Paxson you'd say, was, was pretty magical. Um, but I think, you know, the number one guy for me for putting, especially pressure putting, is Tiger. You know, he had a, a period there when he was at his height where, I mean, he made some of the most amazing putts from 15 feet and in under the biggest heat possible. Um, it was like clockwork. I, can't, I, can, I cannot remember him missing one. And he no, created, no. therefore, some incredible moments in the sport. You know, can you pitch him running around the green like You know, that was kind of it. Just ignited it. made it sexy again, didn't it? Which is why it's so great to have him back. It is, and and how he's done so much for our game, and we should all salute that, that guy. But he would be my my putting robot, definitely.
1: It's pretty decent. I think we need to get Brett Rufford on this podcast, Andy, and do something with him because <laughs> he can, he tends to do really well in the short
0: game category. So <laughs> pretty special. We'll definitely do that. He's Jeez, you can get it up and down out of a phone box. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jonathan, look, it's been amazing to have you on. It's, um, it's. I'm sure the listeners will get loads of value from this, and you know, it's great to get somebody so so experienced like you, who's continuing to push on, and you know, you the the fact that you're embracing change and you, you continue to look to improve is obviously why you're successful as a coach. And uh, the guys who you're coaching, the young lads, I'm sure are really lucky to have you as the coach. So. Um, all the best to what you're doing and certainly to the best yeah. of those lads. I've just got one quick, quick question before we finish. The shoes in the background, I keep seeing those every time yeah. I'm, I see you. What yeah. are they? Whose are they?
2: They're yeah, Seve's shoes. I, uh, I helped give him a lesson, assisted a lesson with Robert Baker uh, one year when I first came to America, actually, and he knew Seve was my hero. Um, Seve left him behind when he left and uh, we called him up and said, hey, you know, do you want your shoes? He said, no, I don't want them, and he gave them to me. So, um, yeah, quite a treasured possession, especially on today. Uh, which uh, is the ninth uh, anniversary of Savvy's death actually
0: really I've mm-hmm. yeah. so, yeah, uh, yeah. coached,
2: yeah, yeah. coached him a couple of times met him a couple of times and uh, he'll always be my hero and again he was kind of Tiger Woods of his day he wasn't a swashbuckling guy especially for those European guys you know really uh, really braised uh, made a trail for us that was uh, you know quite remarkable really so yeah that's yeah, one it's, of it's a question. nice that's
0: a great thing to have that's a great thing to have Back too. <laughs> well, jo- Jonathan, where the um, where's the best place that the listeners can go and um, you know, go and follow you and, and things like that? Where are you most active?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm on all social media, as you know. I post something every day, pretty much, on social media. Uh, Website Jonathan um, Yeah, I'm just working on a little app that's coming out soon. So uh,
0: yeah, brilliant. Make sure you head over there and follow him, guys. And uh, thanks so much again for coming on.
2: Hey, and uh,
0: Well, we need to have a trip out there, and we'll get a game and. Uh, We'll spend a bit of time here. that would be, that'd be really good.
2: Awesome. Keep up the great work, boys. Cheers, Jonathan. Really nice, Thank John. you. Hold Appreciate out.
0: it. So there you have it, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. It was great to have Jonathan on and always good to, to listen to somebody who's got a wealth of knowledge and experience, you know, who's been there, done that and, uh, and got the T-shirt, so to speak. So it was great to have a guest on like that. Now, remember, if you want to go deeper and have some more coaching with myself and Pierce, we've created what we feel is the best out there online we've got meandmygolf.com which really is a platform with our premium content we've got all our coaching plans on there which really is a guide to get you from a certain point in your game to achieving your goals whether you want to break 100 whether you want to fix a slice improve your flexibility so if you want to head over there and have myself and pierce coach you to play better golf then we'd love to see you over there we've got a great facebook community as well just for the for the members which is fantastic as well so head over to meandmygolf.com you can get your free trial and we would love to see you over there thanks again for listening and we will speak to you soon